Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 239, Second Chances. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the episode holds up today. This week, you think you've seen the full Riker, but you've only seen half of it. It's Second Chances, the one with two Will Rikers. I've got trivia coming up in a moment, but first... But first, I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log... Sometimes those comments include trivia, and hey, here's trivia now. Why, thank you, Ken. Trivia for today's episode, Second Chances. Well, the story is credited to Michael Medlock. Now, this credit falls pretty early in Mike's professional writing career, and after this, he continued as a writer on a number of animated projects, uh, Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego, Buzz Lightyear's Star Command, and uh, the series Hercules. Now, the teleplay is by Rene Echeverria, and of course, we know Rene has been with us since season four, and in our rewatch, he most recently wrote Birthright Part Two. Now, the working title, Too Many Rikers, and that's uh, 2 T W O, and don't forget the exclamation point after Rikers. Yeah, see, the problem with that is you might think it's a musical. Yeah, right. We don't want that. <laughs> don't want that at all. All right. The episode was directed by LeVar Burton, and uh, LeVar did what he saw his castmates doing. He went to the producers and said, hey, I want to direct. So they let him direct. It was the Star Trek director school for him, too, and he was involved, like his predecessors, in every aspect of the production, from pre-production to filming to editing and scoring. So he has his hands on every bit of this episode. He would, of course, go on to direct even more, uh, once more in Next Gen, then we will see his name on DS9 Voyager and Enterprise. Um, there is some great behind-the-scenes footage of him from this episode on the Blu-rays and previous home video releases. Uh, of course, what he got with this episode was a monster because of the special effects, a very effects-heavy episode, which is a challenge anyway, but even more so a challenge for a first-time director. Naturally, what you have here is a collection of varying techniques, lots of blue screen, as well as a use of photo and stunt doubles to portray the two Rikers. Now, funny thing about this story, Ken, uh, they were going to kill Will Riker. Really? Or, well, Riker Prime, however you want to look at it. Yeah, one of the early drafts. Uh, the idea was that Will Riker would be killed, Thomas Riker would take his place. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it actually changed the, the command hierarchy as well, uh, because you have Lieutenant Will Riker, as we will call him Thomas, and uh, he, would be, he would have a station at Ops rather than second in command. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> right. You just blew my mind. I want to see that uh -huh. episode, and I want to read that novel, and I want to read the graphic yeah. novel, come to think of it. My God, a whole new world of Star Trek's been opened to me. 
Sure. Well, you know, keep that plot device in mind because it it may show up again much, much later. You never know. You know, ideas get recycled. Now, in this episode, we have a shout out to the USS Potemkin. Uh, We mentioned it way back in the episode Legacy and filled out a little more of Riker's time aboard. Um, At the beginning of this episode, uh, we hear a jazz number, which appropriately enough is I Remember You. By Johnny Mercer. And this is kind of funny. Ken, you mentioned that we sometimes use uh, trivia submitted by our listeners, and this is no exception. Bill Thomas, who has been emailing us for quite a while, he had this funny story about how in 1988, 89, uh, he met Jonathan Frakes, and he mentioned that, well, you know, William Riker's middle initial is T. We don't know what it stands for. And then Bill kind of said, well, my last name is Thomas, so maybe it should be Thomas. Ha ha ha. Well, Jonathan Frakes said, yeah, but he's a jazz guy. I think it should be Thelonious. And, you know, (laughs) after Thelonious Monk. Now, interestingly enough, Thelonious is named as Will Riker's middle name in a novel, in the novel Imzadi. But later on, they obviously started using Thomas. And it's funny because Bill Thomas said that even back then, 1988, 89, he went on a Trek BBS and, and basically lied and said, oh, yeah, his middle name is Thomas. He told me. So, yeah. You know, here's the thing. I I get he's a jazz man. Yeah. I do not get Will Riker's dad. Yeah, no. Naming naming his kid Thelonious. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. any any name. If he had five names, one of them's not Thelonious. Nope. Nope, definitely not. All right, let's talk about guest stars. We have Dr. Mae Jemison as Transporter Chief Palmer. Uh, a few months before this episode was produced, Mae Jemison became the first African-American in space. She flew as a mission specialist on the shuttle Endeavor, and she opened her communications with NASA Mission Control by stating hailing frequencies are open. Yes, she is a Star Trek fan. She also happens to be friends with Nichelle Nichols. And you might remember that Nichelle has done a lot of outreach on behalf of NASA. And Nichelle even stopped by the Next Gen sets to visit her friend while they were in production on this episode. And uh, Dr. Jemison is the first real-life astronaut to appear on Star Trek. Won't be the last, but she was the first. And... um Finally, yeah, Scott Frakes as uh, Thomas Riker. Uh, Scott would be best known for hosting the Paranormal Borderline on UPN, as well as Beyond Belief, Fact or Fiction. Fun fact. Though they look a lot alike, Scott Frakes and Jonathan Frakes are not twins. In fact, they are not even related. Prologue. The Enterprise is orbiting Nirvala 4. They've been sent to retrieve some data logs lost when the station there was evacuated in a hurry. Lieutenant Junior J is in 10 forward, taking in a jazz combo, being oh, being led by Commander Riker and watched by Counselor Troy. So another episode not about Lieutenant Junior J. Riker asks the crowd if there are any requests, and Troy says, Play Misty for me. Except not Misty. She wants to hear Nightbird. Reluctantly, Will agrees. Troy explains to Dr. Crusher that he always messes up on the solo. He hasn't gotten through it in 10 years, and she's sort of making him do that in public. Or she would have had Riker not been called to the bridge. The Navala 4 thing is weird. Basically, there's a distortion field around the planet that makes it nearly impossible to beam in or beam out. In fact, Riker was nearly stuck there eight years ago. 
They have three short windows this time. Then it'll be another eight years before anyone can beam in or beam out again. Beaming down to the station, Riker says things look strange. They're cleaner than they had been. There's also evidence that someone's been here. They start to try to figure out how that could be when the answer comes to them. Literally. Someone is approaching. And that someone appears to be Will Riker. Act 1. You heard me. It looks like another Will Riker. His gold jacket is tattered, and he sports a fuller Riker, but he looks, walks, and talks just like Will. Says he is Will. We'll call him Gold Will. Gold Will says he got stuck here eight years ago when he led an away mission to evacuate the station. He figures the distortion field must have kept him from beaming up. But our Will, we'll call him Red Will, says, uh, no, I beamed out. Awkward. Gold Will agrees to be checked out by Dr. Crusher. She tells the captain right in front of Gold Will that, yeah, genetically, Gold Will and Red Will are practically identical. He's not a clone. He just is another Will Riker. And we may have some Montgomery Scott-level ingenuity to thank. Or blame, depending on how you look at it. Jordy figures that when they tried to beam Riker off Nervala 4 eight years ago, there was an energy surge. Afraid they were going to lose Riker's pattern, the transporter chief boosted the signal, creating two transporter beams. Turned out that was unnecessary. Riker made it back to his ship, no problem. The second beam was shut down, but somehow reflected back to the planet's surface, making a second Riker. And he is a second Riker. There's no which one is the real one. They're the same guy, separated by a transporter malfunction and eight very different years. Picard says they'll need to make Gold Will comfortable until they can figure out what to do with him. In the meantime, Red Will says they still need to retrieve the science logs from Nervala 4. The computers down there are totally messed up. He probably did it. Other he. Picard wonders if Gold Will can help them fix what he broke, though the idea of sending him back to Nervala 4 concerns Crusher. Troy says she'll talk to Gold Will, which seems to concern Red Will. And it doesn't take us long to see why. When Troy shows up at Gold Will's quarters, well, let's just say he's affectionate. Really affectionate. Act 2. We need to talk, says Troy to Gold Will. Recapping their last rendezvous, she and he were supposed to meet on Risa six weeks after he started on the Potemkin. But they never did. Not Goldwell, obviously, but not Redwell either. Redwell got a promotion right after the evacuation of Nervala 4 because <laughs> he did such a good job there. Awkward. Anyway, Redwell made his career a priority, and now she and he are friends. Good friends, but just friends. This bums Goldwell out. Sometimes the only way he stayed sane over his eight years alone was holding on to the thought that he might one day see her again. Yeah, anyway, the captain wanted me to ask you if you could help fix the computer on Nervala 4. Goldwell says he'll do it, and also he's still in love with Deanna. There is awkward everywhere in this episode. The next morning, Red Will, Worf, and an away team are waiting to beam down to Nervala 4. The window opens in less than a minute, and where is Goldwell? Apparently, they were all supposed to be waiting for the window to open together. 
Wharf and Redwell both dress Goldwell down, then it's down to Nirvala 4. The 608 team members pair off, Riker and Riker, Wharf and Data, and the two nameless crew members who may as well not be there. Riker and Riker have exactly the kind of problems you might expect. Redwell says they should probably tell their dad that there are two of them now, though Goldwell hasn't had the resolution with his dad the doppelganger has. Goldwell and their father do have one thing in common, though. Neither can understand why Redwell stayed on the Enterprise, passing up his own command. Their computer repairs aren't working. There must be trouble under the station. But the transport window is closing. Goldwell says he'll stay, go under the station, fix the issue before they're back. But Redwell says no, it's too dangerous. Goldwell says he'll be fine, leave me here. I'll have everything fixed by the time the third transport window opens. As Goldwell moves to make his repairs, Redwell is livid. I gave me an order, mister. Act 3. Back aboard the Enterprise, Counselor Troy is on a scavenger hunt. A romantic scavenger hunt set up by Goldwell. Notes lead her all over the ship until she ends up in Ten Ford, where she finds a gift. An etching of Janeran Falls, the site of their last date. Goldwell made it. Himself. The two talk. Things are weird for him. Not with her, with people in general. Taking orders again after eight years is strange. Still, he'll need to get used to it if he wants to get his career back on track, which he has decided he wants to do. He still wants to make captain a few years ago. Also, he still wants Deanna. After talking about how hard things were for him on Nervala 4, Troy has a confession. She told him they never met on Risa. What she didn't tell him was how disappointed she was by that. She spent a lot of time thinking about Will when they split. So who knows? While Gold Will was on Nervala 4 thinking about her, maybe in a way, she was thinking about him too. Back now to ship's business, because yeah, there's still some of that. Red Will is meeting with the captain, who it turns out has met with Gold Will. Gold Will has an idea about how to retrieve the data from the planet below. It involves him going under the station. The very same plan that Red Will said was too dangerous earlier. Still, he concedes it probably is the best plan. He'll work with Gold Will on doing it up. Of course, he'll also yell at him for going behind his back. In the gym, Crusher and Troy are talking over things between Deanna and Goldwell. Crusher is all for Troy pursuing things with Goldwell. Speak of the devil, there he is. Goldwell, not the devil. Crusher leaves them alone. Then there's a bit of exercise. Then probably a different kind of exercise as we go to break. Act 4. Redwell and Troy are talking in 10 Ford. Red Will says he's got no problem with Troy pursuing a relationship with his doppelganger. Just one thing. Be careful. They are the same guy, after all. The same guy who threw her over for his career eight years ago. Later, Goldwell stops by Red Will's quarters for... Well, we don't actually know why. See, Red Will's playing poker with Data and Worf. He invites Gold Will to join them. It goes from a friendly game to some pretty high stakes... Goldwell accuses Redwell of playing it safe, goading him into betting more. But Redwell knows himself too well. He's bluffing, but he's not. He dresses himself down. He challenges himself. He loses. Self-respect and self-loathing are having it out. 
In the end, Goldwell folds. You always had the better hand. In everything. He tries to build a better hand for himself, though. In fact, he's already got a new assignment. Captain Picard has found him a posting on the Gandhi. He stops by to tell Troy, and to offer a proposal. Like, of marriage. They could get married, and she could come with him to the new ship. Um, first of all, you might hurt me again. And second, I spent the last eight years building a career of my own. Troy says she wants to stay on the Enterprise. But Riker can't. Not while Riker is there. Troy says she's not saying it's over between them, but maybe they both need some time to think about it. Act 5. The away team, Worf, Data, Riker, Riker, and whoever else are back on Nirvala 4. Riker and Riker head to the underside of the station to make the repairs and retrieve the Data, leaving Data and Worf with time to talk about them. Data figures the Rikers don't get along because the existence of one deflates the uniqueness of the other. Worf thinks it could be that seeing each other just brings up things they don't like about themselves. Beneath the station, the Rikers are spiky with each other. Then they hit trouble. A leak of some sort. Goldwell thinks they need to abandon the mission. Though Redwell fixes the leak, then gives his doppelganger grief for giving up so easily. They continue when... Near tragedy! The bridge the two are on collapses. Well, the bridge Goldwill is on collapses, Redwill having just made it across. Goldwill tells his twin to let go, though Redwill won't do it. With a bit of struggle, he eventually saves himself. With the data retrieved, it's time for everyone to say goodbye. Goldwill is headed for the Gandhi, and Deanna won't be going with him. She's just not ready to give up her life on the Enterprise. Not yet. Red Will stops by with a gift for his doppelganger. He gives Goldwell, who's decided to take their middle name, Thomas, their trombone. And with that, Thomas kisses Deanna goodbye, tells Will to take care of her. Then he heads for the Gandhi, as we head for the end. Man, once again, uh, I so look forward to the 24th century that... I may not be able to call up, uh, you know, like the Who or the Beatles, but all the smooth jazz I can handle. That is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You mentioned yeah. you actually mentioned in the trivia, which I'm kind of bummed because I was going to bring up the fact I love the fact that they're playing. I remember you. Mm. Mm-hmm. But who do you suppose that's for exactly? Because they obviously they don't remember Goldriker because they don't know he's there. By the way, it would have been convenient if he had gone by Thomas at the beginning of the show. I know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So much. Would have been nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, who are they saying they remember? Is she remembering him? Also, what is up with her trying to embarrass him? I know. Hey, what? anybody got any requests? Yeah, play that thing you suck yeah. at. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, I guess. Yeah. In public with your band of aliens who you've never met before. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And Lieutenant Junior J is right in the front row. He is right seriously going to blow things with her. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> By the way... It, so you use Goldriker as code so we understand who's who. But remember, there's another Star Trek code, and that is that if someone's hair is messed up, then something is really wrong. Bedhead so, Riker and regular mm-hmm. Riker. Yeah. Yep. yep. Well, I so, actually thought about going with full Riker and fuller Riker because oh. uh, Gold Riker, a.k.a. Thomas, a.k.a. the other one, had a little bit more beard. Oh, he did. Just a did little yeah. bit. Yeah, like yeah. over like over his cheeks. Because yes, he could he could actually shave somewhat. Yeah. And he could keep his hair cut, but he uh yeah, there's no point in going with the you know, the Tony Stark. 
Yeah. You should go with the borderline Grizzly Adams, apparently. I guess once you have scissors or, or a finely tuned phaser, you could pretty much keep it trimmed. But if the replicator's broken, no more styling products. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of the multi-rikers, yeah. um, so they, they go down there, they find the other riker, and, and uh, Commander Riker says, uh, take him directly to sick bay." And Worf says, okay, Worf to Enterprise, two to beam up. Okay, now they went down with six people. <laughs> yes, there's right. now there's now a seventh person, and so I kind of wanted to, you know, like so warped enterprise two to be a mop. I kind of wanted the the transporter chief to be like, uh, could you be more specific? Yeah, and then you know, Worf would say, uh, me and Riker. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. Could you be a tiny bit more specific? Even <laughs> not that Riker. Yeah, it's another Riker. <laughs> not that Riker. You grab a Riker. Doesn't matter because they're the same. Yeah, they are interchangeable practically. Exactly. Um, hey, this was cool. Beverly can tell if someone is a clone or not with a tricorder. Um, the Klingons really should have had this technology. That would have been helpful if Worf <laughs> knew how that worked. Could have saved us a lot of time. Yeah. Oh, it, did you notice how Riker uh, says to Riker uh, that it's been a long time since he had to punch a clock? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I thought that was so cool that Will is using this outdated lingo that is, you know, outdated as of the middle of the 20th century. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> Guess it's been a long time since you had to swipe an ID badge. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Something oh. like that. Actually, what it reminded me of, and I mentioned it in the recap, actually, apparently they were all supposed to be standing there waiting together for the window to open. Yes. It's kind of like when they knew they're going to be like, beaming somebody back to sick bay, and so there are always five people standing around sick bay waiting for other people to materialize. Right. 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 Um, uh, the Money Pit, the movie The Money Pit. Mm-hmm. There's some mm-hmm. funny stuff in The Money Pit, although I can't quote much of it. Yep. But one of my favorite things was always um, the Shelley Long character is on her way to rehearsal, and rehearsal's about to start. And her friend there says, oh, my goodness, you were almost late. And she says, yes, we have a word for that, or we have a term for that in this country. It's called on time. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which, which Thomas was, I mean, Thomas was like right there. Yeah. And they're like, also... There was one other thing in that scene that I wondered about. Worf is really yelling at Riker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it must feel good. Mm-hmm. It must be good to be able to just do that. Like, oh, he's a subordinate. I can I can totally treat him like I've always wanted to. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Riker totally understands yelling at a subordinate because then Riker gets to yell at Riker. And that's that's just great. And in fact, it, it's a, just a moment that I, I really like. I, I, I don't know why, but it's right at the end of Act Two. And obviously watching the show, we always anticipate the end of an act because the music will swell and something dramatic happens. But there's something about the, the moment where Riker says, Riker, I gave you an order. And then you kind of pause on the two Rikers with Will having his hand on Thomas's shoulder, and it's dramatic. Yeah. But it's also just, we're going to sit here for a moment and think about how cool this special effect is. Like, like the old Biff handing young Biff the, uh, the, the almanac of sports history. It's just like, we're going we're gonna to dwell on that moment for a moment, because we can. I really, mm-hmm. I really wish the effect was a tiny bit cooler, though. And it's hard it's still, to. It is pretty good. It's not bad. I can't really yeah. fault them for it because five years later, four or five years later, when um, you know uh, Star Wars: The Abomination came out, mm-hmm. and and yeah. and Jar Jar is kind of there, but nobody's yeah. really looking right at him now. Maybe they're just embarrassed 
for him, <laughs> and so yeah, you can't I, I really look right at him. Yeah. yeah, but I always sense that they were really supposed to be looking right at him, and yet it never quite worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, red, white, red, red Riker, excuse yeah. me, Red Will, that's probably yeah. why I did that. Red yeah. Will is looking directly at Goldwell, but Goldwell is kind of looking over Red Will's shoulder, just right. a tiny bit. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it it's a tough. It's, it's yeah. a tough thing to nail, though. They've been trying that since uh, the Patty Duke show, yeah, <laughs> right. all the way up through all the all the you know CGI Star Wars movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's a tough thing to nail. I like that Deanna is insistent that she and Will are just friends, which again seems mm-hmm. totally right, except for all the times <laughs> that they've seemed to be a little more intimate than just friends. I I don't know what it is, but I've I've got a good feeling about these two. I really do. <laughs> uh, How do you feel about these three, though? Yeah, well, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, can't talk about sorry. that on the air. Yeah, uh-huh. can't go there. Yeah. Nope. But, uh, but uh, Deanna slash Marina is wonderful in this. The the emotion to her speech to Thomas while they're in Ten Ford, it, it's really lovely. You can really feel the heartbreak, and she has a lot to do in this episode, even if she isn't the star of it. You know, I talked about how um, Worf had so many layers and, and so many moments in, uh, in the last episode that, it, you know, it, it's, it's rare to get that much out of somebody in 48 minutes. And this is not a Deanna episode, but for all the ep- episodes we've had of her just feeling something and then going away and then feeling something going away, mm-hmm. this is really nice to flesh that out. It's, it's really nice. There's a, so that is a great scene. You're right. But there's another fantastic scene when he comes to her and says that he's going to go serve on the Gandhi yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's understated. She doesn't she doesn't cry. She doesn't you know yell. Um, but yeah, you can feel all of her. You can feel all the potential heartbreak there. Right. Yeah. You're really well done. Yeah. Um, I feel like oh we were so close to another Dana and Beverly aerobic scene, uh, which uh, we were spared. <laughs> dodge that bullet. Yeah. 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 Very good. And. Um, Oh, let's see that that scene under the computer core. I, I like how Thomas is even more passive aggressive than Will. He's like he's had a good eight years by himself. <laughs> what is he going to work on? Like, I'm going to be really passive aggressive. That'll be my thing. That's how we'll tell the two apart. You got to figure he's been talking to himself for eight years. Yeah, right. So, I mean, he's used to this. Like, oh, what are you going to do now, genius? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, genius. I'm going to go over here and do this thing. And then now there's another one standing there. He's like, all right, you tell me what to do then, genius. Right. right? And he's like, oh, okay, you're you're really kind of, you need to get out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, you need to get out. Right. Okay, my bad. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Too soon? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I really like the callback to Riker's dad uh, from the Icarus Factor. That was uh, it was good that we had some acknowledgement of uh, Riker's daddy issues. And uh, I, I have a question here at the end of the episode. So did Will give Thomas his real trombone or did he just replicate one? Because I, I think that would only be fitting. <laughs> that is how it ends. Really? Riker is just going to be fine with another Riker out there somewhere? I will take things that are hard to believe for 500. Picture this, John. Mm-hmm. Yep. You go down to the basement of the place where you live. Yep. And all of a sudden, there's another one of you there. Ooh. Walking, talking, totally fine. Mm-hmm. 
you know, different experiences over the past few years. But otherwise, it's you. Mm-hmm. It's you. There, there's another one of you right there. Yeah. Would you get along with you? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, man. I, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. See, I don't think I like this one bit. I think my natural reaction is to assume that it's a pod person and needs to be killed with a shovel. <laughs> but if I if I don't do that, then. um, Oh, man. Yeah, that, that's really because, you know, the best of yourself, you know, the worst of yourself. Yeah. And, and you can constantly point out the worst of yourself in another physical being. Yeah, boy, this is. I think it would be terrible. I think it would be absolutely terrible. I think I'd hate it. I mean, I do remember, um, I guess it was the, was it was it Tiffany or Debbie Gibson that did the song, I Think We're Alone Now? Well, it doesn't matter. Um, Weird Al Yankovic did, a, did a, a parody of that called I Think I'm a Clone Now. Right, by the way, I think it was Tiffany. I know it's not important, but I think it was Tiffany. It was Tiffany? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and like he said, the really cool thing was he could send himself out for pizza. Mm, mm-hmm. That's good. And that's kind of neat. Um, I, I sometimes, and I've gotten over this over the past few years, yeah. but when I was a teenager, I didn't even like other people named Ken hmm. because they just like, because it just like brought up to me, like maybe it's the whole uniqueness thing, except I was never that into my own uniqueness. It was really more just about, um, knowing the stuff about myself I didn't like. Yeah. And then just the idea that there was somebody else walking around with that much of, you know, like even just like, even just the name made me think of all the things I really didn't like about myself. Wow. And so then, you know, the idea of like an exact copy of myself, because I know me, I wouldn't go out for pizza. I would just be like, no, you go out for pizza. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I would, I don't think I would get the benefits really of having another me. I think it would just be the whole like, wow, really? You're going to eat that? Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah, I know. I know it tastes good. I love that. But seriously, yeah, I think there'd be a lot of beating myself up. I think it would be bad all around, all around. And I think Thomas is doing the right thing by getting far away. <laughs> well, he's got no shot. I mean, he's always going to be under uh, under Will's shadow, isn't he? Or in Will's shadow. Now, the the other thing, though, and and um, I think I told you before when Rod originally talked to me about mm-hmm. doing mission log, like like mm-hmm. seventeen years Easily. ago now, nineteen, twenty five years ago maybe, yeah. yeah, thirty eight <laughs> right. years ago maybe. Before right. there was a next gen, he was like, "I want you guys to talk about next gen." Um, I, I told him, you know, I was really into the idea because my roommate and I, when Next Gen was in first run, would watch an episode. We'd watch a rerun of an episode and then we would talk about it for hours. And the one thing we never understood is why Starfleet was not replicating what happened on Nirvana 4. Yeah, right. Because we need like 100 datas and we need like eh, 10 Picards, maybe eh, two Rikers is probably plenty. But I mean, once I mean, Data was really the one. Data was the one that I thought they need one of those for every ship, and now they know how to make one yeah. for every ship. But they're not doing that because, mm-hmm. I mean, they could, mm-hmm. I guess, couldn't yeah. they? Well, well, that that's kind of the interesting thing about this episode. Transporter can just create people out of nothing again, uh, that, as it always, as has. it always, as has. it always has. <laughs> yes, and and I've been waiting for this episode because finally. All that stuff about whether it's you that transports, we know the answer now. Yeah. Kind of, but not really. Yeah. Kind of, but not really. You just need a, a containment beam that's in phase <laughs> right. and and reflect it, just bounce it off at the end, boom. 
instant Riker. The same tub of goo they use to make those crystal things you're bringing to Keiko and Miles for their wedding. Uh-huh. Uh, the same tub of goo they use to make Moriarty in the holodeck. Yep. Uh, the same tub of goo they use to make the puppies. That's you yep. when you beam aboard That's the you. Enterprise. And there's another, another right. tub of goo wherever you're going. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yep. That's it. What I don't know is like if you're beaming onto a planet, where's that goo coming from? But I no longer believe that it's the physical you that's uh, transporting. Not yeah. that I ever really did, but now, I mean, Thomas no, Thomas no. Riker proves it. Yeah. That's not you anymore. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, okay. Hey, does uh, does Thomas Riker have a soul? Uh, do any of us, really? Uh-huh. I mean, does See, does there, Will there Riker go, have a soul? I mean, does Data yeah. have a soul? I mean, if Data has a soul, then sure, both Thomas and Will do. I, uh, I I bring it up because uh, one of our listeners, David Kyle Johnson, who um, mm-hmm. has written for like science fiction and philosophy journals, and he sends us these great, you know, really thoughtful uh, uh, emails from time to time, and and has written articles that then have quoted Mission Log, which is a little worrisome because you know I forget the crazy stuff that I say on the show. <laughs> um, but he, uh, he he poses, he said, well, you know, th- this is kind of a very materialistic view uh, that, that the idea that, you know, whatever Thomas Riker's conception of the world and, and himself and, and his consciousness, again, it's just a creation of the gray matter in his brain. And in this case, that gray matter was created out of whole cloth by a transporter. So, yeah, it, it comes right back to does Will, does Picard. Do any of us. It's a, you know, it, j- just keep this segment light. We're just going to pose that to our audience. Say, hey, does, uh, does Thomas have a soul? Does Will? And then we'll move right on from there. Well, he can't just move right on from there. I mean, it goes to a question no. of the brain, right? I used to argue yeah. years ago um, with a couple of people in particular. It seems to me that, I mean, if, if we knew all of the switches in the brain, if we were able to recreate it exactly mm-hmm. as is, then... Mm-hmm. I ought to be able to make another brain just like mine with, you know, the same sort of, even if it doesn't have the same experiences, you can make the same sort of impression. It, basically, it's like making a mold, but it's a mold that's so finite that it will remember, you know, that time I killed a butterfly when I was five and what a, what a difference that made seriously, honestly, in the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. kind of a weird thing. But does that mean I have a soul or does that mean that just, I mean, we're the sum of our experiences and our perceptions, right? Yep. I mean, the idea that I, I love the idea of a soul, I guess it's kind of neat, but yeah. <laughs> well, we've, we've talked about this before, you know, and I, I, I fall into the argument that, you know, the consciousness is the job of the brain, just like how the, the job of the stomach is to digest food. The job of the brain is to create consciousness for that person that is carrying that brain around in their, you know, skull or wherever they might carry it. Glad we got that settled. Yeah, totally done. Totally done. <laughs> that that won't come back at all ever again as a topic of conversation. Uh, how do we feel about Next Gen doing a sci-fi story, very much a sci-fi story, but really being a character drama and particularly a, a bit of a soap opera with Deanna's storyline here? I ask that because, you know, we've talked about the the change in course of Star Trek and how We've had many of the better episodes recently that were about character moments. You know, uh, Inner Light is a sci-fi concept, but it's really this personal story of discovery for Picard. So I'm just curious how this one kind of sits with you being a sci-fi story. But to me, it's really all about the personal drama here. It's a bit of a soap opera. 
That's so interesting because I didn't, I did not see it that way at all. Really? I mean, th- there is a bit of personal drama here, but I mean, look at the way I asked, I started this discussion, mm-hmm. asking you how you would feel about another you. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, this did not feel to me like uh, like that soap opera. This felt to me like like um, this felt to me honestly like another telling of tapestry. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, like Picard has to theoretically or, or chooses to theoretically well actually he's goaded by Q into theoretically wondering how his life could have been different right mm-hmm. I mean and and you and I talked on that episode about what a slippery slope that is yeah. to yeah. begin to think about all the different things you know in your life that could have been different would you change them would you want to change them and all that stuff and and we get that again it, it's there's a there's a there's a bit of the enemy within as well, except there's not going to be any joining of these two in the end. I mean, in the end, in the end, they are uh, two separate beings. But you could argue that you and past you are also two separate beings. Sure. Because, I mean, really, that's what you're looking at here. You're not looking at two guys, you know, that are, I mean, like Picard says, it's almost like finding your own twin. Well, maybe, except. A twin is going to have separate experiences throughout life, right? Yeah. Or twins are going to have separate experiences throughout life. And you can argue that Thomas and Will have had separate experiences, but Thomas's experience has been stunted. Thomas is where, I mean, he is literally where Will was eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And this forces Will to consider the path not taken or the paths not taken and to consider whether he would do the same thing again. And so, I mean, yeah, you can just look at this as soap opera, romance, um, character drama, as you say. But to me, it was actually it 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 it, it spoke to a level above that of of really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the unexamined life is not worth living. Is 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 the phrase? Who is that? Is that Descartes? I don't remember. It's it's not Descartes. I can't remember who it is. But the unexamined life is not worth living. And yet so many of us go through life without examining our lives. And Riker is not allowed to now. He is forced to examine the things he's done. And and Thomas Riker is also forced to examine the things he's done. He just hasn't had a chance to do them yet. Right? I mean, this this seemed very much to me to be about... Well, like I say, it, 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 it's, it's another telling of tapestry, which I don't think we faulted that episode for just being a character drama because, I mean, there's the whole question of regret. There's the whole question of the decisions you made and would you make those decisions again? No, and, and I, I don't... And, you know, love lost and all that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't think it's one or the other. I, I think that to me, honestly, the, that idea of, yes, the, the unexamined life and, and uh, confronting your own decisions, I, I think that's all clearly manufactured by the sci-fi element of the story. I think the story is improved by the idea that we have a a kind of a soap opera-ish through line here. It's sort of in the way that Picard had to confront his own choices about who he was with when he was in... uh, he was in the academy and Mm -hmm. he actually took the opportunity to have this romance and see how that plays out. I, I think that kind of enhances and improves that story. It makes it so personal to then make it that much more relatable. So I guess what I'm saying here is that I think this is one of those rare stories that actually gets kind of both of those elements so right Mm -hmm. that, that one only complements the other, the further you get into, uh, into the piece. Um, Let me ask you what this episode reveals about Riker. 
I mean, I, because I'm picking up some deep-seated self-loathing, maybe. <laughs> you know, you, you, you started this segment asking me how I would feel about a doppelganger. Well, here we get to see how Riker feels about a doppelganger. And, and we do, I'm glad you mentioned The Enemy Within. We do have a play on that in which Kirk had to deal with the, the parts of himself that he found unsavory. Um, mm -hmm. But what's interesting, you know, Will, and it's going to use rather than red and gold, we'll just say Will and Thomas. Well, because he finally named himself something other than Will, didn't he? Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're allowed to do that now. I just I just couldn't for the whole episode. Sure. We, we didn't even know. We didn't know he was going to take another name. I had no idea where it was going. No idea. Uh, Will seems to resent Thomas for his brashness, his expressiveness, and certainly for representing the road not traveled with Deanna mm -hmm. and Thomas seems to resent Will for the, the level that he's achieved for the, the success that he had the opportunity to achieve, but then for not taking his own command and for not having a relationship with Deanna. I mean, the, the interplay is fantastic to see what they don't like about each other, even though they are the same guy. Um, but it made me think, you know, ha had this been just a transporter accident where you put them both back together at the end, as we did with Kirk, does Riker still walk around with all of that in his head, thinking about all the things that he dislikes about those aspects of himself? Really, really, he could use a counselor, maybe somebody who has empathic abilities <laughs> to figure out how he's feeling. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Riker. No. I mean, I said the thing earlier about the unexamined life not being worth living. Mm -hmm. I, I think Riker does a lot of doing. Mm -hmm. I don't, which is, and I'm going to say, I don't think he does a lot of thinking, but that's not quite right. Maybe it's better to say he doesn't do a lot of navel gazing. And yet I do believe there is a point to examining your own life. Yeah. I don't, I don't think Riker is going to spend a lot of time thinking about what he hasn't done once he's not forced to. Yeah. I mean, if he ever has to answer, if he ever does something completely stupid and ends up being busted down a couple of grades or, you know, losing somebody that he actually cares about, uh, something along those lines, mm -hmm. then he might do that kind of examination. Honestly, everything is working out for Riker exactly the way he wants it to, mm -hmm. including the fact that he is not in command. He always thought he wanted to be in command, but now he, he realizes that uh, his place on the Enterprise is absolutely the best place for him. I don't think it's just that next week we're going to forget what happened this week because so often we forget what happened this week. Oh, yeah. I, th I think it really is that I think Riker is going to be I'm sorry. I think Will is going to be very happy to be shut of Thomas because now he can go back to being Riker. He, can, he doesn't have to worry about is he Will or is he Thomas. He doesn't yeah. have to worry about what he did eight years ago. He, he can he can just he can go back to being. He's number one. <laughs> With the expensive special effect that is the other Riker, off on adventures of his own, it is time to see what we can get from Second Chances. Well, this is not best of both worlds big. This is not measure of a man big. But this is a big episode. I have honestly, since we started doing Next Gen... Um, over two years ago I've been looking forward to meeting Thomas Riker again um, 
So um, maybe I'm going to blow it and say I was actually very excited to get to this episode, but I want to ask you, John, because we come to that part of the show where we ask each other about the messages, morals, and meanings, or the meanings, morals, and messages of the episode <laughs> that we're looking into, and whether the episode actually holds up. Hey, you get a second chance to read your first impression here, John. Second chances. Uh, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, we talked about the effects earlier and how, you know, they they may or may not hold up. I, I think in general, the effects are very good. And um, uh, certainly LeVar Burton did a very good job of directing. I, I think that he got out of his actors more than we've seen uh, or or at least given them the opportunity to present before. That's why I was so happy to see those good scenes with Deanna. Um, and, and like I said, it, it was those soap opera-ish elements that I think elevated the science fiction of the story and, and Riker's journey in the story. Of course, the big similarity here is to Enemy Within. Um, we, we mentioned that in the last segment. But even more so, I totally agree with you that this is very complementary to Tapestry. It is eminently relatable as a story with uh, Riker and Deanna having to examine the roads not taken, um, the decisions made one way or the other, and then having to ask themselves if they can change the paths they're on, if they should change the paths they're on and forge a new future. It's kind of, you know, Tapestry, we, we talked about that being a riff on A Christmas Carol. And the 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 happiest part of a Christmas Carol is the message at the end that says the future is not written, that, that you can do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever person you want to be. And I don't think we saw a huge change in Riker prime here and will, uh, it was a nice gesture for him to give the uh, trombone to Thomas. If he actually did. Yeah. If, whether that was a real trombone or not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. But but there's something about this episode that even after all the 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 drama and the the conflict between Will and Thomas and simply the solving the science fiction problem of the episode, there's something about all of this that in the end is just the personal drama and and I, I like how what we see is Will and Deanna at the very end of the episode, the coda of the episode, just sort of like giving each other a new look after all that they've been through in the last 48 minutes. Um, there's something really hopeful and thoughtful in this episode uh, that I think makes it work really well. And not just as a slice of Star Trek, not just as a slice of science fiction, but as a slice of human drama. That That's really where Star Trek is at its best. Uh, so how about you? Yeah, I mean, I would say as a production, it works great. Yes. I mean, um, I know I joked about whether or not they were looking right at each other. <laughs> right. In right. that one scene. And I think it's only because that one scene is supposed to be so dramatic that it's so glaring that that's the case. But you're talking about 10, not even 10 seconds of screen time. I mean, that's always, it's always going to be a tough effect. And I've certainly seen it done a whole lot worse than that. Mm -hmm. uh, acting wise, yes. I mean, it worked. It's interesting. We get, we do actually get some, some pretty strong acting in this episode. Patrick Stewart's barely in it. I mean, that's, that's who we're used to like really showing up. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a cute little comedy moment uh, when when Data asks Worf like so if there was like a double at you what do you think and Worf's like I'm not easy to get along with <laughs> and Data's like yeah <laughs> right he doesn't quite say yeah but he acknowledges that and you can tell Worf is thinking oh, I wonder if I could really rip his arms off I wonder if I could do it it's a, it's a cute moment quite possibly the goofiest moment is the one that featured Jordy I guess there were two that featured Jordy but the one where. Somebody has left something on the warp core. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And Jordy didn't notice that. Now, I'll grant you, he's blind, but he does have a visor. And it just seems kind of like, I think somebody on Twitter was like, boy, he really does not run a tight ship in engineering. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, th- this is tiny little nitpick stuff. I mean, uh, the writing was good. Uh, the The idea is actually, uh, I think, a really great mm-hmm. idea. And it opens up the possibility um, to to bigger examination uh, speaking of which was there a message here or were there messages here that you took away yeah i mean there's something about this where you, you could look at the episode for uh, an element of tragedy where chances not taken decisions made that may not have been the right one i mean again going back to these scenes with deanna sort of the pain behind her eyes mm-hmm. But like I said, there is something kind of hopeful in this episode, too. Um, in the end, it seems that Thomas's presence kind of forced Deanna and Will to not necessarily reconsider each other, but to kind of put each other in focus. Um, so the ending is nice for that reason. In as few words as necessary, anything is possible. You know, again, it's that end of A Christmas Carol that says that you get to forge your own decisions um, informed by the past, <laughs> we hope, and not necessarily dwell on the past, uh, but but create something that is then workable for you. Um, it, it's almost like uh, Riker and Deanna have been forcing themselves to think this is the only way that they can live. And they, uh, all the insistence of, well, we're friends. We're just very good friends. They, we work together. There's no possibility of anything else. By Thomas showing up, all of that got shaken up, and I love that they did that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think ultimately in the end of this, they got to examine their lives, their feelings, and kind of start to put some new perspective on it. And that's that, that's a valuable thing uh, for, well, certainly for a fictional character, but certainly for us in real life, too. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find anything uh, else or different? Well, I mean, there are a couple of things that I would say just sort of to, I mean, to add to it. Um, we talked a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago about Beverly and Suspicions. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we liked about that episode, and there weren't many, at least for me, but one of the things that I liked about that episode is how strong Beverly was in that episode. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the things that we also talked about was the fact that it passes the Bechdel test all over the place. She's yeah. like in so many scenes with other women, not talking about a man. And and uh, this episode doesn't pass the Bechdel test for a minute, <laughs> but we still but we still get strength out of Troy in this. I like yeah. the fact that she is able to examine the choice that she made. She is able to you know play with the possibility of of pursuing a relationship with this guy. In the end, she is able to decide that she has spent the ensuing eight years building her own life, and that is the life for her right now. 
And she's still leaving the door open to the possibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a tremendous amount of hubris. There was a tremendous amount of hubris. I mean, Thomas Riker is Will Riker. He's like, hey, listen, I'm just a lieutenant and your ship's counselor, but I got another gig. So why don't you come with me? <laughs> right, right, right. There's a, there's a lot, man. You got to think a lot of yourself there. Now, granted, he's in love and he's trying to figure out, okay, well, how can we make this work? And the way he can make that work is, okay, well, I have to be someplace else because I can't be around me. Yeah, but I want her with me too, so I'm going to offer this proposition. But I like the fact that in the end, she was like, you know, she's able to explore all aspects of of, of that and decide. As wonderful as it obviously is for her, and you can see that not because she's going around telling everybody it's wonderful, but because you can see it, because Mm -hmm. you can see it in Marina Sirtis' acting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The fact that she's still able to find her strength and say, yeah, I love this, but it's not what I need. What I need is something else. Yeah. Then the rest of it is just the incredibly uncomfortable stuff that it does about making us examine our own lives. Yeah. (laughs) which is great whether i like it or not right i mean it's a it's a it's a valuable exercise to think wow what would i do if there was another one of me by the way your idea of killing myself with a shovel Mm -hmm. (laughs) filing that away (laughs) in case i ever do get a pod person or a clone or Mm -hmm. you know there's some sort of horrible transporter accident Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment Executive Producer Rod Roddenberry. Now, Roddenberry is up to a lot of stuff, including a podcast or three. So you can check out, obviously, our show, Mission Log, also Women at Warp and Priority One, all at podcast.roddenberry.com. And if you want to help support our show directly, patreon.com slash mission log is the place to do that. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, Timescape. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I like the idea of calling the two Rikers, Red Riker and Gold Riker. Then, we could talk about getting a Red Riker phaser gun with a compass in the stock and transmission.